So we are in Zechariah. We're going to start looking at the, the first two visions in a little more detail. I hope you don't feel like this is redundant from last week because we kind of flew through all the visions. Uh, but the, the vision that he has, he has eight visions on the night of February 15th, 519 B.C. It's dated there. Uh, we go back to the book of Haggai and find out, as we know, they began building the temple in September uh, of 520, September 21st. So you can see that's about five months. This night is five months after the temple has begun. So they're in the process of building the temple. And the temple is going to be done by 515 B.C. So they will finish the temple four years after this night vision. And as we go through these visions, again, we need to remember uh, a couple things. One, they are uh, current. How do you write it? Yeah, contemporary. They're, they're not necessarily information for the distant future, although I think you can see as we go through them, there are some things that will be addressed about the distant future eschatologically. They're more for the year 519, 518, 515, uh, as they're encouraging these people to come back. And the issue, what the main thing is, the nations, uh, the empires, and then little Judah. And Judah is God's chosen people, come from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, came out of, the, out of Egypt. They are, the, they are the ones that have the promise. They are the chosen people, but yet, the, the empire, Persian empire, is ruling. They're in control. They're, they've got the, the roads. They've got the communication. They've got the military. They've got the power. Uh, they went through some, uh, after Cyrus, they went through, a, and Cambyses, they went through a period of being unstable. But Darius, right at this very time, 520, has stabilized, has regained the footing of the Persian empire. And that even comes up right here. So Persia, at this point, is, is stable. They may have had some revolts even as they continue, but those revolts are being, you know, squelched and Persia is in charge. And so the question might be, as Judah looks at, possibly, as we put ourselves in this position, is Judah may be wondering, are we really being restored? It looks like Persia, the, the nations, the pagans are rising up in power. They've got the gold, they've got the roads, they've got the expansion. And we're struggling here with a little bit of oppression from the Samaritans and from the Amorites and from the different people around that they're trying to trade with. So we're oppressed. And the prophets are coming saying, no, don't look at this picture. Look at what God is doing. And these visions begin to explain it. So I will read in the NIV just to get through them again. I will read the, uh, the, the first two visions uh, beginning in chapter 1, verse 7, and reading up to verse 21, or the end of chapter 1. So here we go, I'll just read through them. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Idu. During the night I had a vision, and bef- there before me was a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in a ravine. Behind him were red, brown, and white horses. I asked, what, what are these, my Lord? The angel who was talking with me answered, I will show you what they are. Then the man standing among the myrtle trees explained, they are the ones the Lord has sent to go throughout the earth. And they, report, and they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. We have gone throughout the earth and found the whole world at rest and at peace. Then the angel of the Lord 
said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the towns of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? So the Lord spoke kind and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. Then the angel who was speaking to me said, Proclaim this word. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I am very angry with the nations that feel secure. I was only a little angry, but they added to the calamity. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. I will return to Jerusalem with mercy and with my house, and there my house will be rebuilt, and the measuring line will be stretched out over Jerusalem, declares the Lord Almighty. Proclaim further, this is what the Lord Almighty says. My towns will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and choose Jerusalem. Then verse 18, we'll get into these verses tonight, I think. Uh, the four horns and the four craftsmen. Or, they're, you know, they're, we'll talk about that. Then I looked up, and there before me were four horns. I asked the angel who was speaking to me, what are these? He answered me, these are the horns that scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. I asked, what are these coming to do? He answered, these are the horns that scattered Jerusalem so that no one could raise his head, but the craftsmen have come to terrify them and throw down these horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter its people. Uh, and again, those, those visions go together. When he says, I will re, I'll re restore Jerusalem, he's also going to be sending out the horn cutters or the craftsmen to cut off the horns of those that have scattered Jer Jerusalem, Israel, and Judah. Okay, now looking at the notes uh, on page one, uh, there's the English Standard Version at the bottom of page one. The, the notes at the top we went through last week. Zechariah 1 7, on the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Idu, saying, Again, we've got the date. We went through the date. Uh, this is during the reign of Darius. It's his second year. He's established. He came into kind of a chaotic situation with Cambyses have died, and, and uh, uh, Darius was one of the Cambyses' generals, uh, uh, a false brother, a pseudo-Smyrtus, stepped in and claimed to be the, the emperor and claimed the rights. There were some battles, internal battles. Darius rose up, stabilized the empire internally and also stabilized it by putting down some of the opposition. Because once you see chaos on the inside, they see on the outside a chance to revolt. And so he had to take care of internal and external. And Darius has done that. And it is during the Persian Empire. And the prophet does date his vision with a secular pagan date because that's who's ruling and reigning. That's one of the contrasts of here. These are the people of God, but they're under pagan domination, even dating their visions on the dates of the pagans. Uh, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah was a priest. He probably was born in Babylon, came back with his father uh, to uh, uh, Jerusalem to help restart the nation. And he's got a lineage as a priest, but he's also serving as a prophet. And he's going to begin speaking along with Haggai. Uh, the month uh, that it is... Uh, okay, well, let's just go to page 2. Uh, page 2, chapter 1, verse 8. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding a red horse, 
he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. Behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Now, we're going to go through here and talk about all these people, but right here we begin uh, a man riding a, a red horse. We got a man on red horse. Now, as we go through this, let me read on down into the next verse. Uh, I asked the angel who was talking with me, Lord, what do these horses mean? And I will show you the angel replied. So we've got the angel talking uh, to Zechariah. Uh, then we go on. We also see this. Uh, I saw in the night, behold, a man riding a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen. Behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. These horses, uh, we, we look at that, and it, it, you know, my mind, especially when I was younger, would naturally drift to Revelation, the four horses, especially at the colors of the horses. I, I don't think there's any connection. I mean, you, you don't, don't throw that out. But there, those were four specific horses coming in one at a time. Uh, with a very clear rider that was different than the other riders in a sequence indicating events and, and a time uh, of what, when those events were taking place. These seem to be like a, a unit, a division of horses or an angelic division with red, sorrel, and white horses. Uh, the colors, it doesn't give you any indication that the colors mean anything although the fact that they're mentioned would indicate there must be something to the significance. We don't know clearly what the significance is. Possibly, uh, in Zechariah's day, in, in 519, in the Persian Empire, these colors would be connected to something. And so maybe Zechariah and the people that were reading this, they instantly understand, uh, make a connection. Uh, we could say, well, the red, I've got it written down somewhere. Yeah, about towards the bottom of page 2, red is red. Sorrel is described as reddish brown or a dirty yellow or a spotted brownish orange. So you can kind of get the picture of, of that kind of a horse. And then a white horse. So what we've got here is if you want to go with any kind of indication you could say blood or bloodshed, the red. And again, this is not biblical. This is me just... White would speak of victory or deliverance or blessing. Uh, they're a division of angelic horses that are going out, that are patrolling the earth. We're going to talk about that. This combination of the, the orange, uh, brown, reddish, that's kind of like a, a mixture of all of this together which is kind of a, a, a maybe a, a mixed mission. They're going out for judgment and bloodshed, but the result is going to be victory uh, and blessing for Judah, which is exactly what this is talking about. The nations will be judged, but stay strong because there's going to be victory for, for Judah. I don't want to spend too much time on that because that's, you know, that's quite a bit of speculation, uh, but it does give those colors there. And I do think these horses have angelic riders in fact this man on the horse uh that, that he that sees originally it, i think we're going to make a connection that man on the horse is going to be the man standing there's be a man standing among the myrtle trees and i think that's the same man now you don't have to go with this but the man on the red horse 
was in front of all the other horses, which we're going to assume have angels on them because they're, they're not patrolling the earth just with horses. There's going to be angels on it. Uh, and then this man is going to get off of his horse and be standing. And the next thing there's going to be standing among the myrtle trees is the angel of the Lord, which is the second member of the Trinity. This is a manifestation of the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. Uh, we see that in, in, in throughout the Bible, if it be in, in Joshua's day, Gideon, if it's uh, Abraham, even Moses at the burning bush and other places, the angel of the Lord is what we'd say the Son of God, the second member of the Trinity. It's the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. It's, it's that person. That's when a, Jesus can say, uh, before Abraham was, I am, and he can say, I saw Abraham's day. So this would be the Lord before he became a man. And this angel of the Lord is the man standing among the myrtle trees, which is the man on the red horse, which is the man leading this battalion of horses. Now, that's the way I'm looking at it. You can read it and say, I don't agree with that. That's, I mean, that's, you know, I wouldn't consider that wrong, but you've got to make sense of this whole thing. Uh, and then there is another angel that's going to go throughout these visions that's going to be talking to Zechariah. This is a different angel than the man standing uh, in the, among the myrtle trees on the red horse and the angel of the Lord because this angel is going to talk to this angel and this angel is going to talk to Zechariah. Then there's going to be angels that are going to be sent out on the horses patrolling the earth which are not the angel of the Lord and are not this angel although maybe they travel with him. It appears this man, the angel of the Lord who's standing among the myrtle trees has his own horse uh, which is not unusual because when he comes back in this, what we say the second coming, he's coming back on a white horse. Uh, and I, you go down that first point, point one on page two. I've got in bold right there. I've got A, B, C, D, E, F. And in bold is this, what I think is the same person. A man riding on a red horse is the same as C and F. C is a man standing among the myrtle trees. And F, the angel of the Lord. Then the B is the angel talking to Zechariah. Interestingly, the angel of the Lord, the angel of Yahweh, is going to turn and speak to Yahweh. And he's going to receive a message from Yahweh, which is going to be transferred to the angel to tell Zechariah. So there's a very interesting connection there of the second member of the Trinity speaking to what we'd say the first member of the Trinity, if you break that down in that sense right there. And again, that makes complete sense to me in theology and angelology and in the Trinity. Uh, again, you don't have to agree with that. Uh, but anyway, these, these horses and their riders would be similar to what is actually in the Persian Empire this time. I gave you a map earlier of the road that went, you know, they could go across their empire in a matter of seven days with their horses and riders they had messengers but they also had like the eyes and the ears of the emperor people scattered amongst all the the palaces and governmental you know the deep state if you would and they were they were the eyes and the ears and they could report what was going on anywhere in the empire and with a matter of a couple days get the message back to the emperor so these horses that uh, that were fast swift horses of the persians we're patrolling, in a natural sense, the empire. So when Zechariah sees this vision, 
uh, he's, he is seeing a spiritual vision, but it's something that he can relate to. We may see, you know, like interstate systems or highways or something. He's seeing the Lord doing something very similar. And as we talk about, they're patrolling the earth uh, in Job and Peter, Second Peter. I've got it written down here somewhere. Uh, in Job, uh, the Lord goes, or, or Satan goes, uh, going back and forth throughout the earth. Uh, Peter talks about him uh, walking through the earth, seeking whom he may devour. So you've got the, the, the Satan patrolling or roaming the earth. You've got the Persians overseeing the earth. It's not surprising that the Lord himself has angels. And the, this, when you see it this way, all of a sudden, uh, some s- verses that seem you know to not really make sense or seem uh, strange... Uh, like, he heard a complaint. The Lord heard a complaint about Sodom and Gomorrah. So he says, Let, let's go down and see what's taking place. So him and some angels come down, talk with Abraham, and the angels go and investigate. So how did he hear? It could be prayers. It could be people groaning. He heard the cry of his people in Egypt. Or it could be the patrolling of the earth. We've seen this situation. They report it back up. He goes, okay, let's go down and take a look at it. He comes down just like the man on the red horse. He comes down with his angelic host, takes a look at it, observes it, says, yes, this is... So like Satan's patrolling, humans are patrolling, the Lord is also patrolling the earth and observing. And that is what is being said right here. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 8, I'll read on page 2. I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. I think that's the angel of the Lord. He was standing among the myrtle trees. So he's riding on a white horse or a red horse. Now he's standing among the myrtle trees, uh, the myrtle in, in, a, in a valley, in a glen. Now, you know, my mind wants to go and say this is the Kidron Valley outside of Jerusalem. And that's, you know, again, spe- it doesn't say that. And it doesn't say olive trees. It says myrtle trees. And we mentioned last time the myrtle trees were like an evergreen shrub, you know, six, seven feet high that they would use to build their their houses or their 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 uh, shelters not their houses they lived in but for the feast of tabernacles which would be a remembrance of when the lord was dwelling with them in the wilderness and of a day when the lord would actually live in jerusalem and the lord's presence would live alongside the people that was the feast of tabernacles and so that is in a sense the myrtle trees was encouraging to the people because the lord the whole message here is the lord is returning to jerusalem he's returning to restore judah he's returning to bring blessing and now the myrtle trees are the very things they cut down and build shelters for to celebrate the feast of tabernacles which recognizes the lord's presence with his people in the past and the ultimate day in the future and the book of zechariah ends with this very feast being talked about in prophecy so the myrtle trees i think are not just you know mentioned you know it could be just a, a a passing thought but if there is a meaning it probably has to do with god's presence and how they would celebrate it and again you can put the colors of the horse right there um uh, i've got everything said on that for that page two i think uh yeah the at the bottom of point five is the describing the myrtle trees uh, chapter page three chapter one verse nine i asked the angel who was talking with me and this is this angel right here this this angel that's going to be with zachariah just like ezekiel had angels coming and talking to him john is going to have angels showing him things zachariah has and this particular angel i i don't think it changes throughout i think it's the same angel 
it could be Gabriel. I mean, it doesn't say it's Gabriel, and we're not going to even, you know, make a big deal about it, but Gabriel talked with Daniel. Uh, he was a messenger angel. He would bring communication back and forth. Gabriel talked with uh, Zechariah, uh, John the Baptist's father in the temple. Uh, this, this could be the angel speaking, could be the, the interpreting angel bringing the message, just like he came to Zechariah in the New Testament, came to Daniel. Again, it doesn't say that, but that would fit. He's, he's, a, he's not a warrior angel. He's not on a horse. He's here to interpret, to, to communicate. So Zechariah asked this angel who was talking with me, my Lord, again, that's not Yahweh. That would be a different word. That would be Adonai. In fact, you can see right there. Yeah, it's Adonai. Uh, reading that Hebrew backwards. And I said, what are these, my Lord? And right above it, you can see transliterated as Adonai, which means Lord, Master, Sir. It can be a position. It can be just a title of honor. Like you'd say, excuse me, sir. And so that, that's not Yahweh. You see, and that's why it's important when they translate Lord in the Old, Te- Old Testament, if it's Yahweh, to cap all capital letters, so you know this is Yahweh, the name, the personal name of the God of Israel. And Adonai is master, is sir. Now you can have Adonai Yahweh, which would be Lord, Lord. And, you know, if you translate it, that'd be clumsy. But it'd be Lord Yahweh. So you understand what I'm saying. And you can see it right there in the Hebrew. I asked the angel who was talking with you, me, my Lord. I just want to point that out. He's not calling him, well, he's calling him Yahweh. No, he's not. He, that, that's not even close. It's not even an option. My Lord, what do these horses mean? Now, again, maybe he was wondering about the color. Maybe he was wondering about the riders. Uh, and I will show you, the angel replied. I'll, I'll show you what they mean. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered. Now, the man who was standing among the myrtle trees, that goes back to the man on the red horse, the man among the myrtle trees, which I think is the angel of the Lord. So now the angel of the Lord, I will point this out. I was going to say this earlier. I just I don't want to lose track of where we're at. But remember when Jesus says, no one has seen God, only the one who's come from the Father, come from above. Uh, and so... Whenever you, and Jesus said that, no one has ever seen God. You say, well, yeah, but you've got all these situations where the Lord is appearing to people in the Old Testament. But you see, that was not God in the sense of the Father. That would always be the Word of God manifesting or the Son of God manifesting. So when God walked with Adam in the garden, it wasn't God the Father, it was the second member, the Word. The Word always manifests God's word his will his presence and eventually that word is going to become flesh john understood this when he begins the book of john that word was god he was with god in the beginning he was the son of god and that word became flesh and dwelt among us and so uh, that that makes sense so jesus could say no one's ever seen god except the one who came from heaven who's going back to heaven now, he's seen God, and he can tell you about God. He can reveal God because, well, he is God. But I thought we've never seen God. Well, you've never seen, now you've got to break down the Trinity. You've never seen God the Father, but God himself is always dwelling among people, and that's the angel of the Lord here. So, when we read this, Zechariah asked the angel, maybe Gabriel, who was talking with me, my Lord, what do these horses mean? I will show you, the angel replied. 
So the man standing among the myrtle trees answered this. I think, now you've you got to decide, is this just another angel? I'm going to say this is the, the man on the red horse, an angel, or the man or the angel standing among the myrtle trees, or the angel of the Lord. He's going to answer, he says. So the man standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. These horses, what are they? They have been sent by Yahweh to patrol the earth. Wasn't Persia doing that? Well, yes, but the Lord is also patrolling the earth to keep everything, including Persia, in his sights and under, under his jurisdiction. These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Oh, and I've got those two verses. There's those two verses. Job 1, 7, where Satan patrols the earth or goes throughout the earth. And 1 Peter 5, 8, Satan uh, you know, goes about seeking whom he may devour. And that's where Satan, Satan's not, as you know, Satan's not locked up in hell. Satan is, in Job, able to access heaven or appears in the heavenly councils. When all the angels come, when the heavenly councils appear before Yahweh, you have to assume when God calls a heavenly council, it's not a secret meeting with his little you know, angels that he's working with. When he calls a heavenly council, all the angelic beings that have assignments, either if they're in rebellion or if they're aligned with Yahweh, they are at that meeting, if you want to call it a meeting or the heavenly council. And you can see that Satan appearing in heaven. In, in the book of Job, even in one of these visions, Satan's going to be in the courts of heaven standing and accusing Joshua. And there must be some kind of heavenly council going on. It says, well, how, what are we going to do? God wants to reestablish the priesthood. And Satan's over here saying, you can't do that. And he's bringing the accusations. Just like you see in Ahab's day, the heavenly, uh, uh, the, what's the, the, the prophet, I, I forget his name. I, th- um, I, I think it started with a Z as I think about it. A sec- is it Chronicles? Uh, it would be Second Chronicles, I think. But anyway, uh, he saw the Lord with a heavenly council, and he asked, uh, how will Ahab go to his death? And one suggested this, another spirit suggested this, And finally, one says, I will go and be a deceiving spirit in the mouths of his prophet. And Yahweh says, go, you'll be successful. So it appears he's asking for, it's time for Ahab to die. Now, how are we going to uh, create this situation? Uh, It almost sounds like, you know, the dark state and Hillary talking. But nonetheless, uh, I shouldn't say that, but I I thought it was funny. Um, it's like I'm trying to get canceled, right? But, uh, you know, one suggested this, one suggests that, until finally one says, well, he's got false prophets. I'll just be a lying spirit in the mouth of his prophet and lead him astray. And so there was, there, and he says, go, you'll be successful. So a lying spirit went down and lied to Ahab, who believed it, and went to battle and got shot with an arrow. Uh, anyway, that's the heavenly council. And so, nonetheless... Chapter 1, verse 10, So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees, I think it's the second member of the Trinity, these are they whom the Lord, Yahweh, has sent to patrol the earth. They're overseeing the earth. And all that's taking place. The point being here, first of all, nothing is out of control. Judah, the Lord is standing here among myrtle trees, representing God's presence among you. Uh, And I'm, I'm seeing everything. I'm watching everything. 
And they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, and now we're going to get now, they all seem like they now all come together. The angel of the Lord who's on the red horse, the man standing among the myrtle trees. Now all these horses, maybe they come from all different directions. I'm adding that to the story. They come from the east, the west, the north, the south, and they all gather there in the valley. But nonetheless, they've just come back and they're going to report to the angel of the Lord. And they, the angels on the horse, answered the Lord, Yahweh, or the angel of Yahweh, who was standing among the myrtle trees, and says, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, what we have found, all the earth remains at rest. Things got a little shaky here. Cyrus did fine, Cambyses died suddenly, and we had a moment of chaos. But Darius has arisen and stabilized the situation. I'm adding to the words of what they said. But at this point in 519, Darius is on the throne and the world is at rest. Now again, you've got to be careful right there. The earth remains at rest. I mean, are we talking about all the continents, Australia, North America? You know, we're talking here in this setting, the Persian Empire uh, for sure. I'm not sure if, I don't know if I want to say the whole earth, but they've been, I'm sure they're patrolling the whole earth. But I think in context, we're talking about 519, Judah is concerned about the Persian Empire. And interesting, we have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest, or at peace. It's calm. Uh, And now that would, and that is exactly the way it would be. Uh, Going down to page four. I got point one. The Persian world was at rest and had peace in 520, 519 B.C., mainly because of Darius. Uh, The nations were at ease, but Judah was still struggling. They're struggling to make a comeback. They're struggling to see if they could get the... They just got, again, convinced by Haggai and and Zechariah to re-engage the temple building because there's so much oppression. But yet the world, they're prospering. They're at peace. Uh, there was rebellion. You could go back in time. There was rebellion broke out at this time in Media, Elam, Armenia, Iran, even Egypt and Asia Minor were affected. So, I mean, there's little skirmishes breaking out. But the Persians even have Darius, recorded Darius boasting at this time that in 19 battles he had defeated nine rebel leaders, which would be those that were I just listed above there, and had subdued all of his enemies. So in Darius's mind, which seems to match the report of the angelic beings patrolling the earth, reporting to the angel of the Lord, the empire was again quiet and under control in 520, 519 B.C. Even though they'd gone through this period of Cambyses' death, of false, you know, pseudo-Smyrnus. Um, now, what is interesting right here, which flies in the face of, uh, you know, your, your casual Christian who just thinks, well, you know, God wants peace, wants everyone to get along, um, which then raises the question, if you did, why did you not just send Satan straight to the lake of fire and just let us hang out in the Garden of Eden? Why did you send the snake or allow the snake in there? Or all the other questions, you know, it's like, well, the Tower of Babel seemed to be going pretty smooth. Everyone had the same language. We're all living together, building a tower, and then you come down and cause chaos confuse everybody's language they all branch out all the races form and now we're still dealing with all the turmoil of that and god says yes because only in christ 
are the races all united. There's no, in Christ, there's neither male nor female, slave or free, Jew or Gentile. We are all one in Christ. It's like, so in the world, God has it set up so you've got a sin nature. Everybody's got a sin nature. You've got nations and different races, different languages. It's just designed to just like grind together. The only way you're going to get out of this sin nature, the only way you're going to get out of this world that's controlled by Satan and the cosmos, the only way you're going to get out of this, all these divisions between male and female, the races, the languages, all the chaos, is Christ. In Christ, you have, it's all united again. And so, even with that being said, you can say, well, Satan's, Satan's causing all these things. Well, Satan's using all those things. But if you think about it, again, keep, keep thinking. Don't let me talk you into something. But when the Antichrist comes, he's going to come as, and Jesus and Paul and the prophet Jeremiah and other prophets, they always say, when they say peace, peace, don't disasters right around the corner you'll never have peace it's this world is designed by god in this fallen state that you can't any kind of peace you establish is temporary and artificial because this cosmos is designed to devour itself because of sin now there's only one escape out of sin and it's not going to be legislated it's not going to be the united nations it's not going to be you know racial riots or marches or something the only way you're going to find harmony in this earth is to come back to god through jesus christ and that's the restoration that's one reason why the tower of babel look at they're 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 trying to do it by themselves and then interestingly the it's it is said the lord says nothing they desired anything they desired is possible for them they could pull this off we better make it more complicated they're going to figure out how to get universal peace without christ i got an idea let's give them different languages seven different parts of the of the world let different races develop and then see if they can unite that'll do it and ever since then there's been division and war and stuff like that and but yet if you look at what's going on in our world today, it's like we're being driven by this spirit, spiritual force, not God's spiritual force, uh, to find this harmony, this universal togetherness. If it means getting rid of the oil and everybody going to go electric or go green, whatever it takes to get everybody neutralized, so you have to come together and work together just for survival. Now again, that's not going to work because there's always going to be some the elite that's going to be controlling it. They're going to end up, it's just going to self-implode. And that's got to be one of the frustrating things with Satan, which every time, every time he finds an antichrist figure that starts uniting people, what, what blows up? The sin nature. They start devouring each other because you can't have harmony without Christ. You can, you can have a false holding together, but that's going only to be by force if it's persian force or roman force it's going to self-implode but anyway interestingly the antichrist is going to be the man of peace that's going to cause harmony but that doesn't even last three and a half years he can't even pull it off because he then all of a sudden marches on jerusalem takes over says okay i'm now in charge i'm god it's like you can't even do it the antichrist even he's trying to establish world peace maybe he's got the green automobiles going you know the electric cars are all running and everything's fine and uh uh whatever you know i could keep making stuff up but even then 
that blows apart. Israel will buy into it, which is interesting because, you know, I, I'm pro-Israel. But as you look at it, Israel is when the Antichrist comes. When, if, if, and I think, like I said, we're moving cycles. We're going through cycles. Someday the cycle is going to lead to the Antichrist. But God just keeps stopping it and sending it back again. And we cycle through. Here's the Antichrist. Nope. And he cycle back through because it can't come until the time. Something's holding it back. When he's taken out of the way, whatever's holding the Antichrist back, then the Antichrist will come. Well, Israel, if it's happening now, if we're heading that way now or any time, when, when that Antichrist is released, Israel's going to buy into it. They're going to bite the apple. It's like they're going to go for it because... This is what they're looking for. They're looking for a, 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 some political figure. They're not looking, and I don't want to get off subject. Israel is, in their religion, again, there's several different directions and branches you can go, but the general orthodox idea is they're not looking for the Son of God to come out of heaven. Christians are, because we're looking for Jesus to return the way he left. They're looking for the Jews, if I, can, if I can speak for them, they're looking for Cyrus, who's called by Isaiah, my anointed one. Isaiah calls my anointed one Cyrus. I'll raise him up. Well, they're looking for the next Cyrus. Cyrus did not come out of heaven. Cyrus came out of the Gentile nations, defeated the enemy that had destroyed the temple, and then sent Israel back to rebuild the temple. Now, if you just cross this off and write Antichrist, Antichrist will defeat some power, establish peace, and give the Israel permission to rebuild the temple. So when this guy shows up, Israel's going to say, we knew you were coming. The Christians are going to say, no, that's the Antichrist. The, the Jews are going to be like, no, this Antichrist will then begin to persecute the Christians, the great falling away, while Israel's rejoicing and rebuilding their temple. And so are the Jews not going to say, oh, look, all the Christians are being persecuted. The Jews are like, they think of Christians like I think of Mormons. It's like, you're not a true believer. You don't have the true faith. And they're just going to let it go because they've found their Messiah and they think they're heading into the kingdom. And then halfway through, the Antichrist is going to break his treaty with them, and they're going to be like, now they're confused. Anyway, so whatever that all means, however I got down that road, uh, I'll read the verse or see if I can figure out what I was talking about. Uh, oh, they've got peace. Uh, they've got peace throughout the land. And, and again, the average casual Christian, well, that's good. Everybody's getting along. God will always intervene into a peaceful situation where the world is getting too organized and creating harmony without God. Godlessness, harmony without God, he'll come in and add something to it to blow it apart. Well, that's, that's not the political party I'm going to vote for. Well, you don't need to vote for it. That's what he's doing. It's his world. He's running history. Well, you say, well, that, I don't think so. I don't think that's what Jesus would do. Well, let, let's see. Uh, I'll read the, the, the report again, and you know this. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the myrtle trees, the angels that have come back from patrolling the Persian Empire, the whole world. We have patrolled the earth, and behold, the earth remains at rest. Chapter 1, verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord, the second member of the Trinity, 
the Word, the Son of God, who's eternal, in the pre-incarnate state, then the angel of the Lord says, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah against which you have been angry these 70 years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. In other words, the second member of the Trinity says to Yahweh, it's been 70 years. We judged Israel because of their sin, because of their rebellion. It's been 70 years. Now you can go from 605 to, like I did last week, five, uh, 538 or whatever. You want to try and figure that out, 540. Or you can go from five, uh, or 586 to 516 or 515 when the temple is built. This is a nice 70 years right there. You see that? The temple was burnt. The temple was restored. But somewhere in there you can figure out there's like three different ways you can get 70 years. This seems to work real nice right there, especially in the context right here because they're right there a few years away from. And the, the angel of the Lord seems to be thinking uh, that the, the 70 years, they're still in the 70 years because how long? Uh, but you go back to Daniel, he realizes in 539... Uh, because you can read it there, that he realized, he was reading the book of Jeremiah and realized that the 70 years had been fulfilled. And he began to pray for forgiveness, and that was the year uh, uh, Cyrus came in and set them back. So Daniel is looking at this as 70 years. Maybe in in, uh, Zechariah, they're looking at this being close to the end of the 70 years. I can't give you an answer, but 70 years fits in that window. Uh, What dates you're going to use, I could argue a different couple different points but nonetheless uh the angel of uh uh how long will you have no mercy on jerusalem and the cities of judah against which you've been angry these 70 years and so between babylon and now persia it's been 70 years of discipline and the angel of the lord the second member of the trinity is asking yahweh how much longer when uh, there's still peace the nations are still in peace I mean, they burnt Jerusalem to the ground. You've judged Israel for 70 years, and I'm looking for some development to help restore Judah and bring some judgment to the earth. How, long are, how much longer do I have to wait? This is the second member of the Trinity talking to God the Father. How much longer? And it says, and the Lord would be, it appears, that would be the Father, answered gracious and comforting words, to the angel who talked with me. So now the angel who's speaking with Zechariah either hears Yahweh uh, the Father speaking to the angel of the Lord or from them both. Somehow the angel that's speaking with Zechariah hears the Lord's response and says this, and the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, cry out, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. It's almost as if the angel of the Lord asked the Father, how much longer are are you ever going to restore Jerusalem? And the answer is, I am exceedingly jealous or zealous, meaning excited, interested. Uh, The words zealous, it means to be jealous or zealous. Uh, It there's another form that's it's use it twice you see the hebrew uh so said to me the angel who spoke with me proclaimed saying thus says yahweh of hosts 
Again, interesting, Yahweh of hosts, that means the angelic armies, hosts. I am zealous for Jerusalem and for Zion with zeal great. So he's using the word zealous. So I have a great zealousness, with, or I have, I'm zealous for Jerusalem and Zion with a great zeal. Uh, and the word, uh, the word zeal, or you can see right there, quin, uh, it comes from a word that uh, is a color that produ- is produced in the face by deep emotion, or uh, to become intensely red is where the word's coming from. It's the ideal of someone being very emotional, very involved, uh, and, and their, their face begins to form, become red with you know, enthusiasm, zealous, you know, embarrassed or something. They're, they got emotion. And that's what he is. I'm very zealous with a great zeal. Now notice, again, can't tell you why, if it's just po- poetic, you know, for Jerusalem and Zion. Now they're the same place. Uh, Jerusalem's the city, maybe Zion's Mount Moriah. Maybe Jerusalem's the, the, the Old Testament name and Zion's the future name or the eschatological name. Uh, there's no, you'd have to study that and figure that out. Uh, commentators just mentioned that it's there. And it could be nothing more than a repeat, trying to make it emphatic. Jerusalem, Zion. If I was going to take a guess, I'd talk about the city Jerusalem and Zion, the Temple Mount. Again, that's, uh, that's, if I'm going to roll dice and bet, that's, I'll bet that's, I'm going to put my money on that, and we'll find out in heaven, if we gamble in heaven. I, I'm not saying we will. I'm just saying if, if we're gambling. Uh, that's where I bet it's going to. I'm laying my markers there. Okay. So anyway, the answer is, wh- how long are you going to wait? And the answer is, I'm very serious about restoring Jerusalem and the temple. I'm, I'm jealous or zealous with a great zeal. Uh, now watch this right here. He then goes on and says, not only is he excited about restoring Jerusalem, verse, verse 16, therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem, which now that supports the meaning of the myrtle trees. Ah, look, he's here with us. I have returned. Now we saw him leave. In Ezekiel, we see his throne leave the Ark of the Covenant, go to the threshold of the temple, pronounce judgment, and then leave, and then appears in Babylon to Ezekiel. So we saw him leave, chapter 10 and 11 of Ezekiel. Now he has clearly returned. I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. And two things. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Uh, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, my city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Uh, There you've got, in those three verses, 15, 16, and 17. uh, Oh, I I skipped verse 15, did I? Because I was looking for verse 15, and I skipped it. Uh, after he says, I, I'm exceedingly zealous, the very next line, I, I skipped this, I'm, I wanted to say this. And I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease, for while I was angry, but a little, they furthered the disaster. So the nations, right here, he says, I am going to, I'm zealous for Jerusalem and Zion. I'm going to put that up there. I'm zealous, zealous with a great zeal, but concerning these people, uh, 
I am exceedingly angry. We talked about that last week. We looked at that. I am angry with a great anger. I was only a little angry, but now I'm very angry. I was, they, were, they were in the system. They were working in the cosmos, and they had an assignment, but they executed the assignment, but they really enjoyed destroying Jerusalem, and they, put, they went further, and now I've got to provide discipline to them. So they're going to receive discipline, and they're going to receive mercy. So where I was angry with Jerusalem, and I used these people to punish them, they went too far. They didn't know when to stop because they're under control of the sin nature. They couldn't just do it in a godly way. They had to do it in a barbaric way because that's what they are. But now the 70 years is up. I'm going to restore these Judah, but these people are in trouble. Now, what I was going to point out, he says Jerusalem and Zion. And then on, on verse 16, this is what he's going to do. I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. So he's back. With mercy, I've returned. And two things. My house shall be built in it. Maybe we're talking about Mount Zion, the house, the temple. But then he says, declares the Lord, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. So Jerusalem, there's the city. The temple and Jerusalem. And then the next verse, 17, cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities, the city of Judah, shall overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. So you've got uh, verse 14, 16, and 17 all saying Jerusalem, Zion, or Jerusalem and the Temple Mount, or the Temple. So again, that, that kind of supports my idea there. But these guys are going to be judged. Now looking back on page 6 at the notes, Yahweh promised that the Temple would be rebuilt, and it would be accomplished. This is 519, and the rebuilding of the Temple would be done in the next four years. Uh, The city would become a functioning city. When he says up there, the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. The measuring line is, you just say, the tape measure. Uh, It's a measuring line. It's when you're measuring out where you're going to lay the foundation and where you're going to put the walls. It's the original plotting of the uh, the laying out of the plots of where the houses, the, the streets are going to be. You're laying out the city. Now, what's interesting there, the measuring line, this is used in a positive sense. Uh, and the city will be completed then in 44, 444 B.C. We're looking up here in Nehemiah's time. This is where the city's going to be finished. So right here, we're in 519. The temple will be finished right here, 516. And he says that. And then 444, 445, the walls are going to be completed. And that's coming up right here. So he's addressing that's that's how long you, you get a perspective how how long is this going to take well it's the, they're in the process of building the temple but this is going to project down into this time period here into another couple uh uh persian leaders now i've got a couple things written down here jeremiah in jeremiah 31 38 39 i i wrote that point one somewhere if you one b two one if you're following the outline, Jeremiah had said this day was coming where God would again stretch out the tape measure or the measuring line. Jeremiah predicted this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord. Now notice it's in, in verse chapter 31. Chapter 31 is the promise of the new covenant. Whenever we talk about the new covenant, that's Jer- Jeremiah 31, 31. I'll make a new covenant. He's, because Jeremiah's whole message is you're going into judgment. 
Then he has a sweet dream while he's in prison. And he comes up and says, uh, God told me he's going to make a new covenant. Not like the old covenant, but a new covenant. And Jesus picks up on this. This is the blood of the new covenant. But under that new covenant, that's where Jeremiah says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out farther straight to the hill Gareb, and shall then turn to Goa. Now, again, we could find out all those locations, but the point there, Jeremiah says, his whole message was God's going to destroy this place. God's going to burn this to the ground. There won't be anything left. But then when the new covenant is addressed, he says the tape measure is going to be brought back in and we're going to lay out a new city. And that's what this is being referred to right here, the fulfillment of Jeremiah's prophecy. But also, as you end, get into 2 Kings, I'd like to go to this verse or this chapter and read through it. But the pro- it says the prophets were speaking, which would include Isaiah, uh, were speaking about the sin of Manasseh. And this is what they says. The Lord said by his servants, the prophets, because Manasseh, king of Judah, has committed these abominations and has done things more evil than all that the Amorites did. Now, who are the Amorites? Those are the Canaanites. You've got the Canaanites, the Amorites. They're all the same people. They're living there. They're the, the Canaanites with Ugaritic texts and the Baal worship and all of this. They're the Amorites. And you could have different groups of them, but they're all one group of people. They're all following the same philosophy. So Manasseh became more wicked than the people God drove out to bring Israel in. Which means, and again, I skipped some verses there. That's verses 10 and 11. Verse 13, I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria. Now, what's the measuring line of Samaria? Well, what happened to Samaria? God stretched a measuring line over Samaria, and the Assyrians came in and destroyed it. Now he's bringing that same, it's a measuring line of destruction. He's bringing that down in 2 Kings 21. Uh, I will stretch over Jerusalem the measuring line of Samaria and the plumb line of the house of Ahab, and I will wipe Jerusalem out I will wipe Jerusalem as one wipes a dish, wiping it and turning it upside down. And so there in 2 Kings, God is bringing in a measuring line to destroy Jerusalem. But Jeremiah says the day is going to come where he brings the measuring line to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And this is that day right here. They're going to rebuild the temple. They're going to rebuild the city with the measuring line, meaning there's going to be a construction crew coming in. Chapter 1, verse 17. Cry out again, thus says the Lord, Yahweh of hosts. Mighty city shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. And then we've got the four horses, uh, we, uh, four horns and the four hor- horn cutters. Uh, we'll pick that. I didn't think after last week we'd need any more time in that, but we took, I took too much time. Basically what you've got right here are four horns, and they're probably on animals. I'll go over this next week because they're not just horns. They're probably on some animal, which we don't know who they are, or a beast. Just like Daniel saw a beast or Revelation, you have beast, the beast with horns and crowns. The horn always represents power, the power of a nation, uh, the power of an empire. It, it, it's unbreakable. But uh, it says, And I lifted my eyes and saw, and behold, four horns which probably means there's four horns on four animals. I'm adding that to it. And I said to the angel who talked to me, what are these? And he said to me, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Notice the three. And again, now I got give you a list of what 
nations they could be. Are we talking, again, we'll go over this next week. Um, but just like this, if Babylon is one of the horns, Persia is going to be one of the craftsmen who cuts it down. And then Persia becomes one of the horns, then Greece becomes one of the horn cutters or the craftsmen that cut it down. If Greece becomes one of the horns, then Rome becomes one of the craftsmen that cuts it down. If Rome becomes one of the horns, then the kingdom of God is the craftsman that comes and cuts it down. Uh, and the, the word craftsman, it means engraver, artifactor. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's an artisan. It's a blacksmith. It's a carpenter. It's used all these ways. It's anyone who takes material and converts it to... It's, it's a tradesman. If it's wood, if it's metal, if it's a stone, a stonemason. So some craftsmen, these are craftsmen, they're coming in with a saws or hammers they're going to crush the the horns they're going to saw off the horns so you got four horns maybe on four beasts and then here comes a the construction crew a pickup pulls up and four guys get out they've got saws and drills and hammers hard hats on they got their vests on and they're walking up it's like well what, what are these oh these are the the artisans the labor the tradesmen that have come to cut these horns down and I says, what are these coming to do? He says, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one raised his head. And these have come to terrify them, to cast down the horns of the nations who lifted up their horns against the land of Judah to scatter it. And again, it says terrify them, which would probably indicate there's some kind of a being, uh, animal, person, something with this horn because it's terrified or the horn is living by its, you know, itself. Remember the... The little horn that arises, they're, they're all kings. There's ten kings, four removed. The little horn grows up, replaces it in Daniel's vision. So they could be kings, they could be nations, uh, they could be empires. We'll talk more about that next time. But that goes hand in hand with uh, the riders on the horse. They, uh, uh, Israel's going to be, or Judah's going to be restored and rebuilt. The measuring line's going to be stretched out. But then what about these? Well, ah, we're going to bring in some horn cutters. We're going to cut these down. And again, how long will it take? Again, it depends on what, what nations are you talking about. We'll kind of go into that a little more in detail. There's like five or six interpretations. Some of them are pretty sloppy. Uh, I like to stick with, you know, what we've got here. Is it, do you begin with Assyria? Because it says, have scattered. And that word scattered is a word that actually is used, is used for consistent dispersion. When Moses talked about Israel being dispersed, and then the prophets talk about them being restored from dispersion, these are those that dispersed or scattered Israel under God's direction, and now he's brought them back, and now these horns will be cut off. I'll pray, and you're free to go. Father, we do thank you for the chance to look into these verses. We ask that we may find strength, confidence, guidance in these verses, that we ourselves would stand in our day knowing that you are there patrolling the earth, controlling the events, uh, promising to bring us peace, uh, victory, but at the same time, those who oppose your will will eventually someday meet their own a craftsman that will cut them down and your, the kingdoms of this age will be replaced with your kingdom father and we do look forward to that day and being part of it we ask that we live in a way that is worthy today of your kingdom in jesus name we pray amen thank you for your time